Hello, hello. What's happening? Not too much, man. How are you? Doing all right. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro and as is becoming the real trend lately, with me is my buddy, my friend, my pal, my confidant, Mr. Scott H. Gordon. Hello. That's quite the build up. I don't know if I can live up to all that. You can't. That's a lot of pressure. There's no way you can. Come on, let's be realistic. You know, I think we'll just we'll just stick with friend. I think we got that. There we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, lately it's been it's been you and I, and you know, we've we've had a, a severe lack of Doctor Bill, which is which which makes me sad. But you know, hopefully at some point there was a point when Bill and I had a severe lack of Scott. So yes. you, you know, things things have a way of running you know running uh, through the trend and moving on. So hopefully Doctor Bill will be back with us more consistently as time goes on. Well, you know, all those people out there that during that time kept saying, hey, where's Scott? We need more Scott. When's Scott coming back? Yeah, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) I don't remember anybody saying that. Oh. (laughs) No, but actually, in in all seriousness, if you're you're listening and you're thinking, where's Dr. Bill? Where's Dr. Bill? Put it in writing. Send it in. Let him know that you miss him because, you know, it's not to say that his schedule isn't busy and hasn't kept him away. He's been dealing, you know, his daughter graduating school and a lot of stuff that's kept him away. Uh, and, and his work schedule, I believe, has been pretty much uh, insane. Uh, so I, I can't tell you that all of a sudden he'll become available. But if he knows how much you miss him, maybe, you know, maybe that'll be the impetus for him to, uh, to, to do his damnedest to get on to give you the pleasure of hearing the dulcet tones of Dr. Bill. <laughs> anyway, today, I think I think what, what today shows me is no matter what we say we're going to do and no matter what you think we're going to do, we may not do it. Because <laughs> we're continuing with our Thing Hulk uh, retrospective, which I'm very happy to do. But I think, you know, we made it very, very clear. Oh, yeah, if it's just a kind of a, a, a little side thing, we're not going to, we, we may not do it at all. And if we are going to do it, it's not, we're not going to focus on it. And the book we're going to cover today is a little side thing. So the original plan was, well, we'll do this. We'll, we'll bang it out in five minutes and then we'll move on to some more substantive thing, Hulk things. But what we're doing is basically we're doing the page by page run through on this issue. <laughs> so it's part of the thing, Hulk ret- retrospective. Uh, but not really. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you're you're far too generous. I mean, I, I will cop to this is my fault. I, I just you know, I ran out of time to get all the proper homework done, uh, you know, for for the three issues that we're actually going to look at and everything. But you know, the more I think about it, 
I'm actually thinking that if we can do those two issues that we are going to also cover on this episode, throw them into the next episode and the next book after, that actually makes a little more sense because it's it's the same uh, major creator on that with Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin's like the through line on all three of those uh all three of those books and you know both of those stories so actually i but, i did not look as far as what comes after the next storyline which is a two issue uh you know what i'm i'm going to uh tell you i would rather not do that uh oh, okay. because <laughs> what what we're looking at i mean i'm full disclosure here what we're looking at is the next two on our list are from 1985 Marvel Fanfare number 20 and 21, which is a Jim Stalin Thing Hulk uh, story. Mm-hmm. The one after that is also by Jim Stalin, so you are correct on that, uh, but from 1987, and it's a totally different story, and it's a graphic novel. I think the graphic novel deserves an episode by itself because I think that one is going to be a little bit more intense. Okay. So what I yeah, what I think works. is next time out, you know, whenever it is we do our next thing, Hulk one, we'll do the two Marvel fanfare issues. Then the time after that, we'll do the uh, Incredible Hulk and the Thing graphic novel. That works for me. So, you, you listeners, you have your homework. <laughs> but today we're looking at Incredible Hulk number two seventy eight, uh, which is. Basically, you know, right in the middle of the uh, Hulk has Bruce Banner's brain storyline. Uh, right. You know, it, it, we had a build up where he was getting control, you know, where Bruce Banner was getting control of the uh, Hulk's body. And then we have the aftermath to that. This is basically at its peak. He's in total control. And the title of the story is Amnesty. So that'll give you an idea. This this issue has a cover date of December of 1982. It's written by the woefully underappreciated Bill Mantlo, penciled by the woefully underappreciated Sal Buscema, inked by the woefully <laughs> underappreciated Joe Sinnott, colored by the, I don't really know who he is, Bob Sharon. <laughs> I've heard his name, but I don't, I'm not really familiar with him. Same thing with the letterer, Jim Novak. And it is edited by Al Milgram and Anne Nascenti. So I'm going to read the uh, the Marvel Wiki uh, synopsis, which is reasonably long, uh, and then we'll we'll do a page by page on this. Are you know it's good for page by page, or would you rather just oh, discuss yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually how I how I did my notes on this. Okay, one, so, and yeah. and as usual, being the lazy shit I am, I read it. I have my thoughts, but I've put nothing to paper. <laughs> so. The synopsis is that Doc Sampson has arrived at Gamma Base following the Hulk's televised battle with the UFOs. There, he only finds Betty Ross and the defeated UFOs. Betty explains to Sampson how Bruce Banner has full control over the Hulk. This upsets her because she was hoping to find a cure for Bruce so that they could have a normal life together. When Samson tries to empathize with Betty, she tells him that he doesn't know how she feels because she doesn't know her own feelings either. Meanwhile, Barit is taking the Hulk and Rick to New York City aboard her Banshee mask. There, Banner hopes to find allies who will help him petition for amnesty from the United States government now that he has the Hulk under control. This idea leaves Rick to wonder what sort of future he has with the Hulk now that Banner is in full control. 
En route, Barit takes the opportunity to jettison her techno-art devices that were destroyed in the battle with the UFOs, including her Star Eye, which contains all the footage from her techno-art movies. As they take off, the mysterious employer of Jack Claw collects the ruined techno-art devices from space and brings them aboard his space station. Here, the mystery man hopes to use them in his ongoing scheme against the Hulk. At that point, you have to rub your hands together and go, <laughs> Arriving in New York City, the Hulk first pays a visit to the Baxter Building headquarters to the Fantastic Four. His sudden appearance frightens both the Invisible Girl and her son Franklin, leading to a brief clash between the Hulk and the team. However, Mr. Fantastic stops his teammates, pointing out that Banner is now the dominant persona of the Hulk. The Hulk then asks Reed Richards for his help in his quest to get amnesty. Sometime later in Washington, D.C., General Ross meets with the president to give his opinion on the current situation with the Hulk. When the president asks if he should pardon the Hulk, Ross refuses that as a possibility. They then turn their attention to the lawn of the White House, where an assembly of the press and heroes from North America have arrived to listen to Matt Murdock to give a speech and deliver his request of amnesty for the Hulk. Suddenly, alien ships appear over the sky in Washington, putting all the heroes on alert. Barit recognizes them as the Krylorian ships that she fictionalized for her techno-art films about the Hulk, leaving her to wonder where they came from now that her star eye has been destroyed. Regardless, the Hulk leaps into battle and helps the assembled heroes destroy the invading crafts. These ships are soon destroyed before they can cause any damage to the capital, mostly thanks to the Hulk. When the battle is over... The wrecks of the alien ships suddenly disappear. Although their origin is a mystery, the response to this attack has eliminated any doubt to the claims that Bruce Banner is in full control of the Hulk. The heroes then celebrate the Hulk's victory, much to his surprise. The President and General Ross also find no reason to deny the request for a pardon. Watching from his satellite, the leader tells his agent, Jack Law, that everything is going according to his plans. Once again, rub your hands together and cackle menacingly. So that is our synopsis of this story. Uh, what's your background on this one, Scott? Were you reading this as it came out at this point? No, 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 no. Um, now, I have read this particular issue before. I, I, I presume, you know, from way back when, when we were originally going to do this project of the, of the Hulk thing battles, I have read this particular issue, but this era of the Hulk... Um, is a huge blind spot for me. Uh, I remember when the books were coming out, and I, I think I may have, like, I don't know, thumbed through, like, copies on the stands or, or read a friend's copy or something, but I, I wasn't actively reading or collecting the Hulk during this time. Um, I, I hate to say it now, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, but as a kid, I hated the art on you know, the Hulk of this period, I, I really didn't have any appreciation or respect for like Sal Buscema and some of the other guys that, that worked on the Hulk through this time. So I didn't really come into the Hulk, uh, until burn came in at three fourteen, I think it is, um, way beyond this. So I was kind of vaguely familiar with the background. I remember, you know, the Hulk got smart and then he slowly lost it again. And I remember him being banished to, uh, you know, the crossroads of infinity or whatever the hell that was. 
And I remember those books when they were coming out on the stands and just thinking the art was terrible, um, you know, especially the Mignola covers and all that. So I, I just really had no interest in this era at all. But reading this now, um, this particular issue right here, I, I really like this. Um, I, I have since become uh, a big fan of both Bill Mantlo uh, and Sal Buscema. I really like, uh, you know, both their work. So uh, this was fun. This was intriguing. And, uh, you know, eventually I'll, I'll uh, get caught up to this era, you know, in my Hulk read through. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it because I, I like a lot of this stuff. And, this was this issue was a lot of fun. It's a little goofy. Actually, it's a lot goofy if I'm honest about it. But um, but it's still it's fun. You know, I, I miss comics kind of being like this. Um, you know, where they they could be a little bit sillier and a little a little wackier, but still just be a hell of a lot of fun. And so much stuff happens. You know, in the story, and I'm always a sucker for when. Uh, you know, when the Marvel universe in mass, you know, uh, shows up. And I mean, you know, there's a, there's a huge roster of heroes that show up, you know, in support of the Hulk in this one. So yeah, I, I really dug this issue quite a bit. Although I, I do have some issues with it too. So we'll get into yeah, that. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely be reviewing that as we go on. This, this is, I was still very actively collecting at this point. You know, I had a, uh, I had a pull list from the local comic shop at this point, and I would just go over once a week anxiously to pick up my books. Uh, and, and I was, you know, I was reading this as it came out. And I, you know, I, I, I can uh, appreciate your, your, uh, your comments on, you know, the artwork and, you know, what you appreciated then as opposed to what you appreciate now. Uh, as far as Sal Buscema goes, I always found his work to be acceptable. Even, you know, there were points where, you know, let's, who, who's, who's somebody, like Gene Colan, we talked about earlier, uh, or we've talked about on many occasions. His artwork was a little off-putting to me when I was younger because it was a little more sophisticated yeah. than what I was ready to, uh, to look at. The same thing with, with, uh, Gil Kane, for that matter. Um, yeah. That wasn't the case with Sal Buscema. His, his artwork was always fine. It, but, but his artwork at this point, if you had, talk to 1982 Paul uh, I probably would have likened it to you know the Al Milgram art that we talk about being you know just workmanlike and I'm not, yeah. not to insult Al Milgram and I, I, I can, I'm repeatedly doing that and I don't mean to uh, but it's far superior to that it really is and it's something that I grew to appreciate more and more as I got older and, and as I started looking a little bit more intensely into the artwork and books and kind of looking to see, you know, what the storytelling is and what the pacing is and what the panel layout is and, and you know, what's dynamic and what's not. Uh, and I started to appreciate Sal Buscema a lot more. Uh, like we've talked about in the past, I think uh, a lot of his work is uh, ends up being dependent on who his inker is, because I think with a subpar inker, it brings his work down a level. But when he's got a solid anchor, I think it really does tend to shine. Uh, Joe Sinnott, who inked this one, I think his, he, he is probably the cleanest anchor of the era. Uh, he's, he's not going to take something that's not dynamic and make it dynamic. And he's not going to take something and make it, you know, he, he's not going to overpower it, but he is going to tone down uh, somebody, something who's really stylized, uh, and he's going to also clean up something that's a little messy. 
So I find that, that his work ends up being very, very consistent. It didn't really matter if he was working with Buscema or Rich Buckler or Jack Kirby. Uh, a lot of times he, he would be able to kind of get a similar look without end up being very stylized, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally does, because, yeah, as you say that, <clears throat> it occurs to me that I, I never really uh, I never really acknowledged that before, never really realized that before, but you're absolutely right, because um, Sinnott uh, inked uh, a lot of Burn on Burn's first run on uh, Fantastic Four as artist before he took over as writer-artist. And I see a real similarity here when I look at, like, the FF pages. It, it reminds me of those Burn and Sinnott uh, issues. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. He's got kind of a Tom Palmer thing going on because Tom Palmer's the same way where he – I don't think he overpowers uh, his artists, but he tends to, to have – you know, he, he tends to make a uniform look to whatever book he's on. So even though – the penciler or the layout artist may be rotating and often changing by him being the inker. It gives it a, a consistent feel and look. And yeah, I, I feel much the same way with Joe Sinnott. I just never really realized it before. Yeah, you're right. And that's for me, that's not to put it down in any way, shape or form. I really enjoy Joe Sinnott's work a lot. Uh, and he, he worked till a ripe old age, if I remember right. Uh, and I think we lost him not too long ago, uh, unless I'm mistaken on that, because, yeah. because we've we've pronounced people dead who were still alive before. Uh, so, no, I, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty sure he did pass away fairly recently uh, at at quite an age, if I do remember for, uh, properly. Yeah, I think that is correct. But, yeah. So, but no, I, I agree with you on on both, you know, Buscema and and Sina. And you know, to me, Buscema is. I think my problem with it during the time it was coming out, and I was thinking about this the other day because uh, I, I have quite a collection now of uh, Spider Girl comics in all her various series, and uh, uh, I, I recently bought. <laughs> Somebody it's funny. Somebody was was poking fun at me in our Facebook group for doing this, but I bought a collection of Spider Girl um, and paid more money for it than I should, only because I only needed two issues out of it. So I, I bought the collection to take those two issues and then just resell it. So I was sitting down the other day and you know doing the the side by side comparison, like which copy do I want type of thing. And as I was doing that, you know, occasionally I'd flip through issues because I haven't read these stories yet, and I was noticing that. Um, this was on uh, Amazing Spider-Girl, the, the latter series, that um, Buscema, Sal Buscema, was the inker um, on many of those issues over um, Ron Friends. And I really like the artwork and all, but it definitely harkens back to a different time of comics. And I, and I couldn't help but wonder if maybe that's why that title had its little niche, but also kind of struggled sales-wise and everything, because... That was my problem with this style of art and this era of Hulk comics as a kid was, you know, I look at this art style here and while I really like it today as a kid, I just looked at it the same way I would look at like when Kurt Swan was the artist on, you know, Superman and, and action comics right towards the end built like before the reboot and burn taking over is kind of old school fuddy duddy you know compared to like the superstars that were at you know active during that time you know you had george perez you had um john Byrne, and you know all these 
these up and coming artists that had a completely different and, and dynamic style. And so this kind of callback to the, the Marvel house style just didn't quite do it for me anymore. I was looking for that more flashy dynamic style that, you know, that these up and comers had. I mean, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh no, it absolutely makes sense. And I think, you know, there is a, uh, there is a tendency to, uh, you know, when when you're young, to to not take the time to appreciate the finer points. You know, you, you something that's right. really splashy is going to be much quicker to jump out at you and be, uh, you know, be interesting to you. Absolutely, yeah. So we might as well. well want to do the. Might as well start page, jumping into this one, right? Yeah. All right. So well, the very first thing before well, we, we even get to the story is the uh, the inside front cover. No, 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 no. The cover. Oh, okay. We got. We didn't do the cover. And we oh, okay. we have we have we have Fat Hulk on the cover. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is beefy. Which I I know you're a big fan of beefy Hulk. This this is a Hulk that could use a salad. Who uh, who's the artist on the cover here? Uh, I don't think it's Buscema, so let me see. I'm guessing that it might be Al Milgram. Uh, let me That's let me kind look. Of what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Cover artist? No, cover artist. Well, here's the deal. It's, cover artist Sal Buscema, inked by Al Milgram. Al inked by Milgram. Yeah, yeah. That's. I kind of thought I saw some some Al Milgram in there. So, for, so for, yeah. by way of description, oh, I hate to keep dumping on Al Milgram all I know, the time. Cause I actually lo- I have a little soft spot for Al Milgram. So. I've always heard <laughs> that he was a wonderful guy. So, you know, not appreciating not appreciating his artwork doesn't necessarily uh, translate to not appreciating the man. Um, but right. but anyway, it shows the Hulk walking away from the. Uh, the reader, you know, so we're seeing from behind, we're seeing a huge fat ass uh, with his his right arm in a fist raised up to the sky and his left arm, his left hand opened, but also raised up. And he he's heading towards the White House. Uh, and in between him and the White House are the thing, the human torch, Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic, Captain America, Spider-Man, Nightcrawler, Submariner, Valkyrie, uh, Vision, Thor, Colossus, She-Hulk and Wolverine. I'm not missing anybody there. What's I don't think. What's funny is uh, there's there's none of the more wacky characters that we get inside because I've got a note on that when we get to it that there there were a number of of kind of odd choice characters uh, in the big, uh, you know, especially in that big two page or yeah the two page double splash. But you know, through the whole rest of the story, all the guest stars. There's a couple of really odd guest stars, but I'll, I'll point those out when we get to them. Um, yeah, you know, despite it being a fat ass Hulk that's actually showing us his ass, um, I, I still I like the cover. It's it's a dynamic image. The the single problem I've got with it, other than you know again beefy Hulk, and his that it's funny because his uh, you know to us as we're looking at him, his right ass cheek looks like I don't know. It just looks really <laughs> odd and weird. <laughs> but um. But the only the only quibble I have with it is Cap, because of the way he's inked, Cap looks really weird. He looks like a cross between um, that storyline where the super soldier serum wore off and he got all scrawny again. He looks like a cross between that and, like, zombie Captain America. He, <laughs> he just looks odd. He looks shambling, like, like a skinny shambling zombie 
you know, zombie um, Captain America. So it's kind of strange, but well, I'm going to attribute. I, I really like. The I'm going to attribute the look of Captain America to kind of a lack of detail that's put on him, uh, and y- yet with the lack of detail, there's also it looks to me to be kind of a heavy hand in the inking, and in that it's you know the lines are a little yeah. dark and thick. Uh, so I think that combines to yeah. uh, to create the uh, emaciated uh, zombie Captain America look <laughs> when you look closely. Right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, yeah, I think the, the layout of the cover is dynamic. I think it's something that, you know, you, you see on the stand, you automatically want to pick this up, especially with all these guest stars in it. But the actual rendering, particularly of the Hulk, I mean, all the other guys are kind of fairly small, so you're not getting as much detail on them. But the Hulk is, uh, his musculature doesn't look quite right on his back to me, and he's definitely just far too beefy. Yeah. So. I'm curious, this was, uh, let's see, 1982, I would have been 14. I'm wondering if I knew what Amnesty was at at 14 years old. I'm not sure that I did. I'm wondering how many kids looked at this and go, what, what's that word? What, what does he want? Give me what? Is that a food? (laughs) Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I'm a little older than you, but I, you know, by that time, I definitely knew what that meant. The title of the story is Amnesty. So now you wanted to go to the inside cover. Uh, to your Atari yeah, twenty six hundred. Yeah, anytime there's really good ads, I, I always want to mention them. And yeah, I uh, yeah, this is an Atari ad, but it's for the uh, M Network series of games. And uh, I don't know about you, but I I loved M Network, and I had I mean I had a ton of their games. I, I think I probably had just about every non sports game that they put out because uh, a lot of their games were kind of knockoffs of the arcade classics but they were better because you know atari 2600 games that were actually produced by atari as we all know were shit so you know while their version of like asteroids and pac-man were crap the uh, m network version of like asteroids i think it was called like astro blast i think was that was a great game so yeah i loved m network those those are good games yeah i was not particularly a uh, follower of that to be honest with you, I was a video game <laughs> fan uh, at that point. I think right. I think anybody who uh, you know, unless you were really old, you were a video game fan because right. you know you were able to to play these games. But I wasn't. I guess maybe because I was just a little bit older. I was not. You know, I, what is this? Eighty two, December of eighty two. So it would have been somewhere around the time that I was turning twenty. I was born in sixty two. Uh, so yes, I am old. Uh, but at this point, I think I was definitely interested in playing video games, and I spent a lot of my time playing them. But I wasn't really following like what particular releases were out and that type of thing. Right. So you know, I, but I, I did a lot of the sports games. I found the sports games, sports video games, to be much more entertaining in general for me because they would, you know, you didn't have to get a whole, involved in a whole storyline. You just jumped on and you played. Right, right. If memory serves, I think M Network was the ones that did the Tron games. There were a number of Tron, you know, based on the movie Tron. And I think it was M Network that put those out, and those were really good too. And I'm reminded of that by the picture here of the, I think that's a football game. The way their their figures always had a distinctive look throughout all of the M Network games. Their figures looked the same, so... It didn't matter if it was a football player or Tron or, you know, some little adventure guy. They all had that same look. But, 
at least they were better than just, you know, a blob of color like the, the Atari games were. <laughs> you know, they were pretty pitiful. Um, well, my next note's not really a specific page. It's just as you get into the story here and, and Doc Samson shows up and uh, there's the mention of the UFOs. And uh, it always drives me crazy. I've, I've heard this a number of times when people refer to UFOs as UFOs. I've heard that before in, in different, you know, like, you know, you watch like, I don't know, like ancient aliens or something. And there's always, you know, some nut who calls them UFOs as opposed to UFOs. That makes me crazy. I want to slap them. I'm like, it's UFOs, <laughs> not UFOs. It's, it's a good <laughs> So just, well, I don't this remember this look for. I'm sorry? No, I was going to say, we, we, you, you're jumping ahead because I, I like the splash page here, uh, which I think you were going to, to Betty Ross on me, uh, which is on the next page. Right. But the, the splash page shows uh, Doc Samson coming out of some sort of futuristic uh, traveling, you know, flying vehicle. Looks almost looks like, a, a, you know, a, a something that you, you can go into space with. Uh, and he's landed and then, you know, it's on the gamma, gamma base. So it's also, you know, going to be kind of very, very uh, techno, you know, very futuristic in just its layout. And it's, you know, at nighttime. So the moon is in the back, back and the, and the sky is black. And it, I think it's a really sharp uh, splash page. Yeah, I like that, too. Now, what what had happened? So I know later in the issue, it's revealed that Ross lost his command. But what has happened to Gamma Base itself? Is it just derelict now or, you know, I'm not really sure. I don't really remember. But I think, yeah, I think that uh, that it had been abandoned for some reason. And, and but it wouldn't be abandoned because because the Hulk uh, was intelligent, because we're just getting wind of the fact that he's intelligent now. So I don't really have any recollection as to why it's empty yeah no I, I don't i don't remember either i have not read the stories leading up to this and i haven't re- i haven't I read it in years then. yeah but jumping th- into this when i i like some of the things that have been referred to and it, it makes me really w- want to get up to speed to this era because I, I i liked a lot of what was going on so we, we see the aftermath yeah, of the hulk's battle uh and there's a lot of destruction there and Betty Ross is sitting there when Doc Sampson comes over to her. I always found Doc, Doc Sampson to be kind of an interesting character because he's not really Hulk strong. Uh, I'm trying to think of like who you'd put him in a class with. I think, you know, he's maybe Iron Man strength-wise. Yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure. Although there's that story, um, again, by Burn, you know, during the Burn run by Burn where – he briefly had that kind of Wrath of Khan looking outfit and he holds his own pretty damn well with the Hulk in that fight. And that's a mindless Hulk. I mean, that's, that's like Hulk, you know, to my mind at basically at full strength because he doesn't have any banner in him to hold him back. And while Samson does get the shit kicked out of him, he, you know, he also holds his own pretty good during that fight and gets in some really good licks of his own. So, Yes, Doc Samson's an odd character for me because I can't remember when I first met him, but he was well established by the time I would have met him. And, you know, he definitely had this look, you know, the classic, um, well, you know, the homage to Captain Marvel T-shirt and the, and the jeans and all that. And I always thought of him as, you know, he's really cool, re- you know, heroic. He seemed like a really nice guy. But having now read through 
the the early issues and like his first appearance and you know as he was developing as a character he was kind of a dick when he first came along and i was kind of shocked to discover that honestly because i've always thought of him as you know as a nice guy you know just you know one of those you know uh, underutilized uh heroes but whenever he did pop up he always just seemed like a, a really good guy and you know well respected and everybody liked him and everything but in his early appearances yeah he was not really a likable person at all I didn't think so anyway. Right. Just as, as an interesting side note that uh, in the Incredible Hulk movie, uh, you know, the Ed Norton one, uh, Ty Burrell, who is with Betty Ross in that yeah. one, is Leonard Sampson. That's the character he's playing. Yeah. So I do think yeah. that they had potential of, of building on that character at some point, but, you know, I've kind of... I can't see that guy as this version of, of Doc Samson, yeah. though. I just can't. I don't remember what it's from, and I think it was a back issue at the time, but I remember the first point I remember reading anything with Doc Samson, uh, and again, I think it was a back issue when I read it, uh, was something where he had uh, he had cut, cut his hair, and he commented that, like Samson of the Bible, his strength diminished when he cut his hair. That's why he has to have long hair like oh, that. Fuck. Anyway, <laughs> so so they're looking over the <laughs> aftermath of the battle, and then uh, you oh, you mentioned that you you weren't familiar with this particular appearance on Betty, and again I'm a little vague on it, but I think there was something where Glenn Talbot was was killed, and she kind of went you know didn't go on the run, but kind of went you know off on her own and didn't want to be found, so she changed her look. I think that's right. what it was. Right. If my memory is accurate, which right. it may or may not be. <laughs> so. so I was surprised to see uh, uh, Barit in here because I I'm not horribly familiar with her character, but I, I knew enough about her that I knew that she came from the Rampaging Hulk magazine and that something I read said that basically those stories had been retconned away, that they, they never were canon. So to see her here, I was a little bit confused. So reading the story and then doing a little bit of research on her, basically it looks like this is the issue where it's revealed that that all of those stories that happened, at least all the stories involving her, that happened over in Rampaging Hulk magazine are now being retconned by this story to have been her movie that she was making about the Hulk up back on her home planet, which is kind of weird, but okay. It was a way of giving those stories some credibility of some sort and bringing her character into the actual, you know, universe proper, uh, I think right. I think they actually revealed that uh, maybe a couple of issues before this when she showed up. Oh, okay. Uh, just the only thing I would say is her her headpiece on her uh, costume is ridiculously high. Every doorway <laughs> every doorway she walks into, she must bang it on it. Right. So yeah, but it's it's kind of kind of cool that that they did that they did bring her into it. Uh, you know, give her character something in, in the uh, real world. And they, they actually, just to keep going with the MCU, uh, she's a character that uh, Star-Lord sleeps with in the first Guardians movie. Yep. Yeah, she's the girl that comes up from the, the lower decks that he had forgotten was even on, on board this ship. Yeah. <laughs> now, that star eye of hers is 
12 kinds of disturbing. Um, not only does she beam it into space, but she really needs to just kill it with fire because that <laughs> thing is – that's nightmare fuel right there. That thing is just – Yeah, a giant set of red lips <laughs> with a big eye on it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of just messed it's just up looking. creepy. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, I think they set up some interesting uh, potential here with the fact that, you know, she, I guess, you know, in effect, effectively, Barit is like a fangirl who, by making these movies, right. has fallen in love with the Hulk, but he has no, uh, you know, he has no knowledge of her before this and really, you know, has no interest in her because, you know, he's in love with Betty. Uh, right. So he's got to kind of reject her, but, you know, do, you know so you're creating a love triangle. Now, how long has he been smart? Did that just happen in the prior issue, or has it has it been going on for a while by this point? I think I think it's going on for a, sh- a short while, but I think it's more than just one issue. I think it's something that you know kind of happened a little while, and then the last issue I think is when when it when it becomes kind of public knowledge. But again, I'm working off memory now <laughs> of stories that I read, whatever it is, twenty five, thirty years ago. So. You, know, right. you have to forgive me I if just, I'm not a, totally I accurate. Is, I think it would help his case, especially when he goes to the Fantastic Four to change up his look a little bit. Because yeah, he still looks like the Hulk. Yeah, put on like a real pair of pants and comb your hair, maybe yeah. a shirt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree. Yeah. So now just reading this through for the first time, uh, when you got to the page where the – star art is being collected uh did did you not know who that was or did you immediately no, think I oh totally that's the leader didn't. yeah because I I, yeah, I I i don't i don't think it's well hidden <laughs> no no it's not no i i because i i stopped for a second i'm thinking all right who could this uh, and just just by the the artwork and Although you don't see much of his head, um, I, I pretty much figured out right away who it was. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I had read this at some point in the past, so it's, that could be a memory bubbling up as well. But no, it was it was not a big shock to me at the end of the story who he was. Yeah, and I just saw somebody on Facebook put up something where they were asking, you know, who's the, the Hulk's greatest villain of all time? Is it the Abomination or the Leader? And... Uh, I saw like different comments, but somebody said, you know, initially it was the leader, them playing the brains against Braun thing, but then, you know, by the time they came up with the abomination, he became the main guy, and somebody said, yeah, Stan pretty much acknowledged that when they did bring on the bad guys because he did the abomination. Uh, you know, it's okay for him to have two significant foes, though. But uh, and, and we kind of have both no, no. we have both of them in the Incredible Hulk movie, except the leader never gets to come to fruition i don't know to me honestly uh, and it might seem weird or maybe even a bit of a cheat but honestly if i had to pick the the hulk's number one foe i'd go with general ross um i I think that might be kind of the reason why he was such a big deal in the the uh norton movie you know the mcu hulk movie well he's Um, he's he's his number one antagonist yeah i I guess you know I, i just I mean, he can't, obviously, he can't stand toe-to-toe with him. You know, he's not a physical threat to him. Until, spoilers, he becomes of, the Red Hulk. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. But, you know what I mean? I, I just, 
I look at him as, you know, a lot of the Hulk's woes for the first, you know, many years of that uh, character's existence were owed to uh, Ross's continued and, and constant hounding of him. You know, there's a lot of stories I've read where if Ross had just left him the hell alone, things might have played out differently and, and the Hulk wouldn't have been such a menace. Um, but it was it was Ross's mania to to destroy the creature uh, type of thing that that really led to so many uh, of the problems that the Hulk caused over the years and everything. So, um, but you know, it's funny at the same time, you know, modern day whenever that that character comes back, even like in the in the movies, uh, I get a little irritated because he does seem like. Uh, you know, a relic from a, from, you know, from long ago now to me, you know, when it comes to the Hulk. And, and I think a lot of that was because by the time I came in, he was largely gone by that point. You know, he, the, the Hulk was off doing other things and fighting other villains and, and everything. And then, and the whole, you know, pursued endlessly, you know, harassed endlessly by the, by the military thing had kind of fallen by the wayside. He didn't see that so much. Right. Yeah. All true. Uh, so next in our book, we come across the battle with the Fantastic Four, which is as close as we're coming to a Thing Hulk battle in here. Uh, you know, he shows up, right. but yeah, he he does a, he does a, a real shitty job of trying to get their help. You know, maybe a phone call first might help. You think? Uh, I do like that on page eight, the that last panel. You know, when, when it's actually revealed that it is the Hulk standing in the doorway. I like that he has just kind of this, you know, uh, the the faintest of kind of smiles. I mean, he's not because that was one of the things that I noticed in the beginning of this was, you know, when when we get to the the part of the story, you know, in the beginning, the part of the story that has the Hulk. As I say, he just still looks like the Hulk. He's scowling. He's angry looking. His hair's all mussed up. He's still wearing his ripped up purple pants. There's nothing that would indicate to, to someone who doesn't know that Banner's in charge now, you know, that he's not dumb rampaging Hulk anymore, that he's smart. And this is really, you know, the first instance you see of that in the story is that, that last panel on page eight, when he shows up at the FF headquarters. Yeah. I think it would have better served him to have changed his clothes, maybe put on, I don't know, you know, real pants or shorts or something at the very least, you know, change up his look. But at least he does have like kind of a smile on his face, you know, so that should have been a, maybe a little bit of a clue that this wasn't angry, pissed off, you know, wanting to fight Hulk. And I kind of like that. It was, it was very subtle, I thought, but it, I, I liked that moment. Yeah. OK, I, I can agree with that. But I just think, you know, Bruce Banner is too smart to just do show up like this. So it's, it's a little bit of a story. Right. Weakness. No, no, I, you know, I agree with that. Yeah. A phone, as you say, a phone call. Yeah, a phone call would have been nice. So then, uh, so the thing's battle with him is limited to uh, he throws something at him and uh, and the Hulk doesn't react. That's that's the battle, right? So, so who are we giving it to? We're not giving it to anybody on that one. I, 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 I can't, you know, I, I don't even think it's worth writing it in the book. <laughs> where I've been keeping okay. track of these things because it's, it's not really a battle. You know, he, he throws some at yeah. him. He, he, I, I, you know, I guess, I get, you know, I guess I give the Hulk the, the victory because it, the only uh, purpose 
that the thing has is to kind of get his attention and get a reaction out of him, and he doesn't. So therefore, he loses. Right. That was kind of my thought as well, is that even though the thing is the one that's getting the blow in, you know, so to speak, because he's, he's the one throwing the object at the other you know, opponent, uh, I would give it to the Hulk as well, just because the Hulk's not there to fight. And he takes it and shrugs it off. So, yeah. Now, I've been wondering about um, the last panel here. You know, everybody's reacting to the Hulk and, and basically Reed's trying to get them to stand down and everything. And, and uh, Sue says, uh, Reed, what are you doing? Why are you defending that that monster? And Reed says, the Hulk is not a monster, Sue. And uh, Ben says, yeah, and my aunt Petunia ain't a septuagenarian. And then he goes, well, that is she ain't. And there's a footnote saying as revealed in uh, Fantastic Four 239. I'm wondering, is that a dig? Because I know a lot of people weren't exactly crazy about that when that was revealed, you know, when, when Byrne finally revealed Aunt Petunia. And she, I believe, if I remember right, I think she's actually younger than Ben. Yeah, I think so. I think. It, yeah, because it was like his uncle's second marriage or something like that. He, like his uncle married uh, a much younger woman type of thing. Yeah. So he called her Aunt Petunia out of, like, respect, but not because she was you know the the you know uh what's the term you know the spinster old aunt that we had kind of come to believe in our minds that she was by all the references to her as you know my old aunt petunia or whatever and i know that you know some people thought it was cute and then other, a lot of i just remember there being a, a lot of folks that were kind of annoyed by it I, so I can't help but wonder, is this a comment on that by uh by Mantlow? i always kind of kind of you know, when he mentioned her in the past, I always thought she was like somebody he made up. You know, I didn't I didn't think an Aunt Petunia <laughs> really existed. So when Byrne introduced her, I kind of thought, oh, that's clever. It was fine with me. I had no <laughs> no issue with it at all. But I do right. I do remember reading that and, and thinking, yeah, you know, that it was clever. So, yeah, he throws that big piece of machinery at him and it basically bounces off the Hulk's chest and it's over. And then he explains to them what's going on. Uh See, now, here's, here's a panel. When he's explaining to them what's going on, you see the Hulk, and the background is pure white, no background at all, and there's also not, <clears throat> except for where it meets the uh, the dialogue, it, there's no uh, border to the panel. And that's an instance where no background not only doesn't bother me, but I think it kind of focuses you on, you know, on the character, and I think that's well done. Because we've complained sometimes where there was yeah. no background. In this instance, I think you know. I think when it's used uh, in 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 the right manner, it can be a good thing. And I think in this one, it is. Well, I also like that. You know, while he's got the same silhouette as what I call fat ass Hulk that we would see by like. Um, God, Herb Trimpey. Like on the, the artist. Herb Trimpey. Herb Trimpey, thank you. Um, you look at this, and while the, those two characters, you know, by those two artists, uh, uh, you know, this character, I should say, by those two artists, may have the same silhouette, you look at the way it's drawn and inked here, where there's definition. You know, you can see his pecs, you can see the outline of his ribs, you can see, you know, his rib cage on the side. All of that definition and, and musculature comes out. And he does look 
imposing and muscular as opposed to just he's a big old fat ass. And and that's what I was talking about before when I I know I sound like I dump on Trimpy. I actually like Trimpy quite a bit, but that was my problem with it is that there just wasn't enough definition to the figure. And and this is great. Yeah, I really like that a lot. And I I like the kind of pleading look on Hulk's face too. Yeah. So we go from that page to a, a double page splash of all of the heroes. <clears throat> oh, actually, no, excuse me. Before we get to that, we have uh, General Ross talking to the president. Now, I have to say, you know, clearly, yeah. clearly this is supposed to be Ronald Reagan, uh, but they never, mm-hmm. they never show him. The only time, you know, they never show his face, rather. The only time you see him, he's standing with his back to the reader, uh, looking out a window. And I like that. I don't like when they date comics by having, you know, Richard Nixon in them or, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy or, what, you know, whoever was president at the time. Uh, you know, I know they didn't write them with the thought that the people were going to be reading them 40 years later, but you know what? We are. Uh, so I, I prefer well, I, that they don't have. I'll agree and I'll. I'll agree and I'll disagree because I, I agree with you from the perspective of, um, you know, it keeps it from from being instantly dated um, and that sort of it keeps it from being topical. Um, but it also I think it depends on how they're portrayed, too, because, uh, you know, I just in in my notes, I just had simply, you know, Reagan with an explanation point because I was excited to see him. Um, I think. As he was used in DC's Legends miniseries, I mean, there's a panel in or two in that by Byrne where it's Superman and Ronald Reagan walking together, talking, you know, on the White House lawn. And I just look at those panels and go, wow, the two greatest superheroes of the 1980s. You know, I get really excited about that. So it depends on how they're portrayed, you know, but then there were a lot of, uh, you know, as with any president, you know, there were a lot of... uh, comic book appearances uh, by presidents over the years where it was somebody had a political axe to grind and they're, you know, portraying him as a buffoon or whatever. And yeah, I, I, if they're going to do that, I'd rather they just didn't, you know, then just have it be president, you know, Morton or whatever, you know, make up some president or whatever. So yeah, I, I agree with you here by not showing his face, you're not tying it to either a, a specific time period or hopefully making any sort of political statement. And yeah, that that's probably the best way to go, honestly. Okay. Then we go to the double page splash of all the heroes <laughs> on the white house lawn while, uh, Matt Murdoch presents, uh, the plea for amnesty. Uh, and just looking at the I heroes there, there right? uh, is that, a, is, is that a serious question or is there a punchline? <laughs> <laughs> well, because he's the only lawyer in the in the Marvel universe. Apparently. Well, no, no, She Hulk is behind him, so she's a lawyer in the Marvel universe at this time. <laughs> but yeah, he, he represents everybody, and it doesn't matter what kind of case it is. But just just looking at the group of heroes, and you know, most of them are very easily recognizable. But just kind of going to the background a little bit, um, you know, you have. Uh, Somebody standing, if you look, there's a head in between the Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye. I'm starting from the left and working my way to the right. Uh, the closest I can come up with on that one is maybe Machine Man. Then between the Scarlet Witch, Where again? between sorry. Hawkeye oh, and the Scarlet the Witch, there's just um, there's a face there. It's hard yeah. to make out. The closest I can come on him is Machine Man. Then between the Scarlet Witch and Wonder Man, that's got to be Red Wolf. 
that's Red Wolf, and yeah, my note on that is, what the hell is he doing there? Well, he was Red a he, he was a hero. <laughs> Between Wonder Man and Mister Fantastic yeah, yeah. is Jack of Hearts. Between Barit and the Hulk, I'm thinking that's Black Panther. Well, let me see. There is a list of characters on the Mar- yep, Machine Man. You called it. Yeah, there's a list of characters on the Marvel Wiki for this issue, and they're they're. I'm presuming that's who they're referring to is in that panel. They're saying Machine Man is part of the group. So yeah, that must that's a good call because I I can't really make out who that is. But yeah, I definitely noticed. Uh, Red Wolf, and that just struck. There's a number of these that struck me as really odd choices, uh, but Red Wolf's probably the biggest one. Okay, and then well, oh, that I, and Firebird. Well, everybody else on that page, and now we're going to the other side. Uh, and I didn't look at the list of people that they have there, so I'm not sure. But uh, behind Wolverine on his on on our left, as we look at it, is that Stingray? Maybe. Stingray, yeah, it is, yeah. Then it's Sprite to his right. Uh, everybody else seems easily recognizable. How about between <laughs> between Shaman and Firebird? I'm at a loss on that one. I think that's just a dude. I think that's just a guy. Because if you look over Thor's shoulder, there's three guys just standing there talking. And I, I'm kind of wondering if that's some sort of a gag or something, because it almost reminds me of... Perry White and um, and Steve Lombard, but I really don't know who they're supposed to be. But the one guy looks like he's bawling the other guy out, and the other guy is just kind of like, oh, kind of expression. So I don't know what's going on there. It's just background action. But but just because you know, just the simple fact that there are regular folk mixed in makes me think that that guy between Shaman and Firebird is just a regular joke because he has a kind of dumbfounded look on his face too. Like, they you know, starstruck, I should say. Yeah, I'm thinking the guys all the way to the right, the three of them, that they are meant to be somebody that we know, but I don't know who. Yeah, I don't. I couldn't figure that out either. What's funny is the guy that's up in the tree, um, by the way he's dressed and the, you know, he's having, he's holding a camera and snapping pictures, my first thought was that was Peter Parker, but then Spider-Man's right there, so I don't know who the guy in the tree is supposed to be. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. If he's... Yeah. So then as as this is going on, we get our fake invasion of uh, spacecrafts, and the Hulk immediately leaps <laughs> to action, followed by all the other heroes. And, you know, I, I think it's a little overplayed here, where it's, you know, as soon as he goes to action, you know, Thor says, what valor, the Hulk does strike fearlessly alone at Yon Aliens. And that's what they'd all do. That's, it's, yeah. it's, you know, this isn't yeah, a I, unique I, situation. Yeah, I had a real problem with that. My note on that one was, you know, suddenly the Hulk is a real swell guy, and we've always thought so. And I'm like, what? Because everybody has a moment where they're they're thinking or saying, you know, basically what a swell guy the Hulk is. And I'm like, no. You, you've said horrible shit about him behind his back. You've fought him innumerable times. You've tried to stop him. I mean, he's done nothing but rampage across the country and cost probably you know millions of dollars in property damage and everything and you know just all of a sudden because of this one thing now all of a sudden now what a great guy he's always been a great guy no no it's now don't get me wrong i really like this issue but it it does move a little bit too fast this is where i think you you could have benefited from a little bit of decompression and spread spread this story out a little bit because it goes right from the hulk or Bruce Banner, I should say, 
thinking about amnesty and wanting amnesty to he's immediately got it and he's immediately got everybody's acceptance too. No, that that happens a little too fast for my for my taste. Yeah, we get about whatever it is four pa- four pages of battle, and then they you know it ends with them carrying him off on their shoulders. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a little little too quick. It should have been okay. You know what? In light of today's activities, we are going to consider. Uh, right. You know. <laughs> You know, we're going to consider amnesty, and we'll and we'll let you know after we after we we uh, you know we we come up with a panel to discuss this and find out what you know what the pros and cons of it are. That's you know, and that that's not even to be uh, factoring in you know potential politics of oh you know what's going to make me look better, what's not. That's just just from a perspective of. Uh, we can't take a bold move like that without actually giving it some thought because here's a guy who's ca- who's caused countless millions of dollars of damage over his lifetime. <laughs> right. So, you know, it, so it is a little too quick. For a but... moment. Go ahead. Back up for a moment to page 14, the middle panel, the third panel. Um, right. I'm presuming that Cap Shield must have been at the cleaners or something because that's a trash can lid. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because well, I guess what what they did was they made a very clearly discernible line on the interior of the shield uh, that goes circular around it, uh, you know, which creates like kind of a border. Uh, what that should have been was yeah. it should have been a much wider shadow, and it would have been acceptable. But the way it's drawn, it makes it look as if there's actually like a fold in the shield there. Yeah, yeah. The invasion. The, the invasion crafts are a little just very generic, if that's... Well, I don't understand this, because when the Hulk leaps up into the sky at them, I really thought, and, and for just a moment, the, the R almost seemed to support it, I thought he was just going to go straight through them, because I thought these were a projection. They are some sort so of a projection, how, but I guess it's this... it's more like a hologram. Because they do, know. they do have physical form, and there is an actual, you know, uh, a, a toll that the battle takes. You know, Johnny Storm gets knocked out and has to be caught. Uh, Doctor Strange gets caught in these tentacles. The Vision explodes one of the ships. So, I mean, there is a physical manifestation to it. Uh, but I guess, right. I guess, I guess it's some sort of holographic thing because then once they're all down, they just kind of fade and disappear. All right, I, I can buy the hologram because, yeah, my, my complaint was going to be it, it makes me crazy in comic books, well, any story really, where something is conjured out of nothing, you know, where, where they just – it just materializes and it just is. That that makes me crazy because I, I can't help but think about the mechanics of it. Like how does that work? How do you just create something out of nothing? But if it's holograms, then okay, I can buy that. And that actually makes the fadeaway thing uh, much more acceptable to me, too, that they just, you know, they were nothing, you know, made of solid light or whatever, so they just, you know, pull a fade. Yeah, that, that, I can buy that. That's a good no prize. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they have to actually only explain it. Did I lose you? No. no okay. Uh, I don't know if they ever formally explain it in the, uh, other issues or in you know in the hulk magazine but certainly it you know it 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 takes something that shouldn't be all that important it allows us to sweep it under the rug (laughs) so now 
Go ahead. Generally speaking, I really like the art throughout this story and, and think it's really good and all. Um, but there are the, the occasional wonky bits, and I can't help but notice that the last two panels on page 16, um, <laughs> that, you know, the one on the left, Iron Man has a really dopey look on his face. He's like sad, sad Iron Man. And then what is up with the Hulk's face? As he, he looks like he's doing a Yoko Ono right there. He's like, hey! he's just... Yes, yes, and you know what? I have to, I have to admit, I didn't notice either of those, but they're both. You're, you're on the money on both of them, especially on the Hulk oh, face. You? I've seen the Iron Man, the sad yeah. Iron Man face, on numerous occasions in the past, so that one doesn't jump out at me quite as much. But <laughs> the fact that I didn't notice the 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 Yoko Ono Hulk face, it's it it surprises me. <laughs> but that that's a great catch. But. You know, I, I want to also, you know, as long as, you know, as well as uh, making fun, I also want to praise where, where praise is deserved. And the middle panel of the next page, page 17, the, the heroes rushing into battle, that I love. That looks really, really good. And another wow. example of a panel with no background where that works. Because yeah. if you had a background, yeah. it would take away from the uh, seeing the heroes as much. In fact, I think I would like that panel if there were no side borders on it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that would make it even even cooler with with no border because you've got uh, you know, the way uh, Mr. Fantastic's fit is almost like a 3D effect. I really like that. Um, I can't help but wonder if Salby Simmons just didn't get the memo or something because She-Hulk by this point had joined the Avengers a, a couple months prior to this, so she didn't have this look anymore. She was no longer wearing rags. She actually was wearing clothes by this point. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I I think didn't get the memo is probably more accurate than you realize, because I'm thinking that's what that's <laughs> you know it probably hadn't been discerned, disseminated to him rather, uh, that uh, right that that was going to be the case. So just uh, you know they all land they they praise the Hulk as you know as if they all didn't do it but whatever the case may be I guess you know their focus in being there is for the Hulk. So they, you know, Thor and, and uh, the thing walk off with him on their shoulders, and all the other heroes following. And I have a real problem with that panel because you you can't tell me that the Hulk doesn't have some serious swamp ass. I mean, would, would you want to lift him up to nose level like that? <laughs> you know, the way they're I just. I don't uh. see the Hulk as even the Bruce Banner Hulk as wanting them to do that. Right. I, I would. Right. Be, I'd be like, no, no, no. I'll, I'll walk. Thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, it's that's just that's a that's an odd odd choice, odd panel right there. But you know, the what's called General Ross is no longer able to give any uh, specific reason why uh, amnesty shouldn't be granted. And, but it, but it's you know uh, the the. President, well, General, following the Hulk's defeat of that invasion attempt, have you any further objections to my granting him an unconditional amnesty? Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, let's make it conditional. <laughs> let's, you know, so right. let's see how long, you know, he, he, you know, do we know for a fact that Bruce Banner is going to be keeping control over this being forever? You know, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's effectively go with some probation. How, how about that? Well, by this point, hadn't Banner 
gains control of the Hulk at least a time or two prior to this. Exactly. There's there's a precedent, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and so, yeah. Not only do I agree with your conditional amnesty, but you know the the simple fact that this one event has now somehow cowed General Thunderbolt Ross to a point where he's like, I'm sorry. Going. No, Mr. President, none that I can, none that you can think of. So what he needs to do is he needs to do the thing that the MCU Ross did and, and have a, a, a slide presentation of all the friggin' destruction across the face of the globe that's happened at this point due to the Hulk. I mean, I would think that that'd be some, you know, some real motivation for maybe wanting to rethink this whole amnesty thing, you know? Yeah. But yeah, he just hangs his head and acts like, "Nope, I'm defeated." And I'm like, "Wow, that's that was fast." Okay. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's 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 a uh, a compression that's not good. Let's decompress that a little bit and let's give him a little uh, period where he's got to prove himself. Uh, and then we just wrap up the issue with the leader, uh, you know, gloating that this is what he wanted to happen. Uh, I guess, you know, the thought is he's setting up the Hulk to uh, to fail, you know, that, you know, the, the higher he lifts him, the further he has to fall. So from a thing, does he get his hair done? Thing? Oh, are you kidding me? That hair, that hair is fabulous. That's like Fonzie hair on a big <laughs> head. Is, uh, is is his cranium even bigger than normal here? Because that, that looks like a very tall leader. Now, I know he's got a huge, you know elongated cranium but that looks like it's even yeah longer than normal no it definitely looks to be abnormally abnormally long for even him uh what did you think when they went to the other look for him where he kind of had the bubble head eh, yeah. i don't i don't really like either one of them but the bubble head to me looked too much like like you know like testicle head or something, <laughs> so he looked really, he looked really, I don't know, creepy and bizarre. But this look, I've never liked. This, I don't know, I, I've never really cared for the leader anyway. To be honest with you, I, I think it would be sufficient for him to just be um, a really smart dude that has some sort of beef with the Hulk. I think. And I guess you could even get away with him being green, but I, I think by him being both green. And then the freakish head thing, it just, I don't know, to me it's always come off as really silly looking. Um, I, I wish that there was a way that they could retool the kid because I think he's he's a character with a lot of interesting potential. It's just the way he's been used over the years. And I, I think I have a problem taking him seriously because he looks ridiculous. So if they could somehow redesign that character. Oh, let's see, you're sending me a picture here. Let's see. Yeah, see that bubble-headed thing? I, I, no, I don't like that. I really don't. Yeah, it's, see, there, right there, he looks more like, he looks like a nauseous Telosian or something. He just, you know what I mean? He's, I don't know. <laughs> that that yeah, could be like his character name. He could be nauseous the Telosian. <laughs> I don't but, know, I, but I think that I think that Peter has. I really wish that um, they had followed up on. Yeah, see that now. That one is not so. Bad. I believe that's from so the, the one I just sent. Is I think that was from his first appearance. I think that's by Ditko. Yeah, uh, but anyway, yeah. So I mean, right there he looks like. I think that was the way to go with him, where he just had a bigger head with a big brain in it, and that was it. 
Yeah. Yeah, he looks more like, um, oh, God, who's that Green Lantern? Oh, uh, I know who you mean. Uh, he was in the movie. You know, with the... Yeah, yeah. I, I can't think of the name, but I, I... See, I wish that they had followed up on the uh, the Edward Norton Hulk movie with, uh, with that guy, you know, with Stern getting the exposure, and it, it looked like we might be getting a lead, because I'd, I'd be very curious how the MCU would do the leader, because I can't imagine they would do him like this. So if we ever actually get him, you know, maybe maybe it'll uh, have a more positive effect on the character. I don't know. I think if, if the MCU actually gets full rights to the Hulk, you know, instead of Paramount having it and them having to share it, uh, I think that that could happen. But I don't see it. Right. I, I don't see it unless that happens, because I don't think they can ever make another Hulk movie unless they have the full rights. That's a shame. But that closes out this issue. And we're, uh, by my schedule, we're, we're running a little long, so I think we'll, we'll call it an end to this. We don't really have a Thing Hulk, uh, tally to put on this one, because they really didn't battle, even though we discussed it. So, but next time out, we will do those two issues of Marvel Fanfare, so if anybody who's trying to read along, you know that between now and then, those are the two to read. Alright? Cool. And, uh, we'll see you so all. This was fun. It definitely was. I enjoy these. Uh, we'll see you all in a week. Have a good one. No bye-bye from you. All right. Bye. Yeah, all right. That's much better. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks. And we'll see you next week. Sit, Ubu, sit.